Good morning. We have a lot of talent in this church. This morning in Sabbath school, if you missed out, we had our junior kids singing. And now we have our, those who are a little bit older than junior playing and singing. That was wonderful. Thank you. You're putting me to shame because I can't play an instrument. I can't sing. Um, I wish I could, but uh, thank you so much. I enjoyed that. You know what Des didn't know this morning when he asked us to get up and he gave me a hug is that not only am I a hugger, but I'm a kisser as well. <laughs> so he, he got off very well. Uh, I come from a Greek family, so not only do we hug, but we kiss twice, you know, one on each cheek. And so you, you, uh, you got off um, scot-free. Well, it's wonderful to see you. It's good that you're here, and I'm happy to be here. You know, this is part of the service where um, I get to open up the Bible and share with you a message that I believe God has placed on my heart. And uh, I'm very excited about this message. Um, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Don't stress. I'm sure someone beside you will. So if you have a Bible and you notice that someone beside you doesn't have a Bible, just um, just share the Bible or share with them what you have, your Bible or your electronic device. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for life, for hope, for the greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you that through your word we can come to know you. And as we open it up this morning, may you speak to us. May the words that I speak be words that will inspire and lift our thoughts, our hearts toward heaven and lead us into a closer and greater walk with you. Father, hide me and you speak. Be present here. We take hold of your promise that where two or more are gathered, you are there in the midst of them. So fulfill this promise. Be here today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as I said, I come from a, a big, fat, crazy Greek family. My parents come from villages in the north of Greece, high in the mountains. In fact, their villages are close to the biblical town of Berea, which is mentioned in the book of Acts. So my parents' village are about uh, approximately one hour from the town of Berea. At the age of 16, my mum jumped on a boat, on a ship, I should say, and came to Australia. My dad was conscripted into the army at the age of 18. They still do that in Greece at the age of 19 now. Every male has to do mandatory military service in the army for nine months. And my dad came to Australia when he had done his time in the army. Both my parents left everything they knew everything that was comfortable to them and familiar and they took a giant leap of faith into the unknown. They left their family, their friends, their community, their country 
everything and everyone that they had grown up with and they came to a country on the other side of the world, a country down under, a country where they knew, well, hardly anyone. They didn't know much about Australia and they didn't even know the language. They must have been very brave to do that, Uh, very confident to leave everything that they were comfortable in for the hope of something better. You know, there's no way that I could have done that at the age of 16. I was not mature enough. Um, I I wasn't even mature enough at the age of 20. My wife will say I'm probably still not mature enough. Um, but how, you know, to, to think that my parents would do that um, just makes me love them even more. When Jesus invited his first disciples to follow him, it was an invitation to leave everything that they were comfortable with and everything they were comfortable in so that they could enter their calling. The story is found in Mark chapter 1, and I'd like for you, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 14. And my big idea that I want to share with you today, if you forget everything else that I've said, I'd like you to just remember this one thing. This is the crux of my message today. If we want to follow our calling then we need to be or we need to get uncomfortable. If we want to follow our calling, then we must get uncomfortable. But it's worth it. It's worth it. So that's my big idea. That's where we're heading today. If you want to follow your calling, if you want to follow God's leading in your life, it's going to get uncomfortable but it's always worth it. So let's have a read of this story found in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14, and we're going to read down through to chapter 20, uh, to verse 20, excuse me. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, with the hired servants, and went after him. So as I've said already, the first thing I want to point out here is that coming into our calling means coming out of our comfort zone. And that's we find that in verses 18 and 20. They leave their nets, they leave their father, they leave everything they know to follow Jesus. You see, God wants us to leave our comfort for our calling and the thing is God's invitation does make us uncomfortable and we don't like it 
Because who really likes to be uncomfortable? We want Jesus to be comforting and nice and gentle. And he is all those things. But he didn't come to just be that. He came to confront and to change the way that things were being done and the way God was being presented. But we don't like it. Because we want to be comfortable and we want to enter our calling. It's like, you know, we, we want to be fit and healthy, but we don't want to exercise or eat a little bit less. We want to uh, enter our, our divine calling, but we don't want any discomfort. But in order to find our calling, we must forsake our comfort. If you don't believe me, if you think what I'm saying is wrong, if you don't believe me that the message is, is uncomfortable, just go back to what we read in, in verse 15. Just go back to the message that Jesus is preaching. He's, he's preaching a message of repentance. Whenever someone preaches a message of repentance, it's uncomfortable. Because repentance means to turn around and to change your mind. It's uncomfortable. This is how William Barclay uh, describes repentance. I'll have it on the screen there. We are very apt to confuse two things. Sorrow for the consequences of sin and sorrow for sin. There are many a man who is desperately sorry because of the mess sin has got him into. But that man very well knows that if he could be reasonably sure that he could escape the consequences, he would do the same thing again. It is not the sin that he hates, it is the consequences of the sin. But real repentance means that a man has come not only to be sorry for the consequences of his sin, but to hate sin itself. Repentance means that the man who is in love with sin comes to hate sin because of its exceeding sinfulness. And Jesus preaches this to confront us so that we leave our, we could call it our dysfunctional comfort and our mediocre Christianity and accept his invitation and enter our calling. At another time in John 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with just a little bit of bread and fish. He multiplies it and everyone eats. Then he says something that is really uncomfortable. In John chapter 6, turn with me there, John chapter 6, verses 53 and 54. He's just fed them and the people are feeling great. Their bellies are full, they're happy. He's been preaching and teaching all day about the kingdom of God. So they're learning. And then he says something to them in John chapter 6, verses 53 to 54. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then in verse 66, it says, from that time... Many of his disciples went back 
and walked with him no more. Why? They were uncomfortable with what Jesus was saying. You know, Jesus, we were happy when you fed us. We were happy with our bellies being full. We were happy with the teaching. But this, what you're saying, this is too much. They were uncomfortable. It's interesting here, there's just for something for you. There's two six six sixes in the Bible. There's the 666 in Revelation chapter 13, and then there's this 666, this 6, uh, John 666. And this one, I think, is a little more scarier because it says here, from this time, many of his disciples walked or went back and walked with him no more. You know, God's invitation to leave our comfort and enter our calling is uncomfortable and it it makes us uncomfortable and it requires a leap of faith. But it doesn't mean that God is not comforting or that he is condemning. Jesus said to the disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit and he called the Holy Spirit the Comforter. And throughout Scripture, we are told that God comforts us and we are told to comfort each other. But we are never told to be comfortable. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, if you just go ahead, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts, Romans, First and 2 Corinthians, in chapter 1. Turn with me there for a moment, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We find that God is a God who comforts us. Starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God comforts us. But he doesn't want us to be comfortable. He confronts us to help us to be better, but he never condemns. There's a difference. Jesus' confrontation has the means and the power to change us, but condemnation doesn't. The enemy condemns us and he leaves us in a place where there's no hope. But Jesus always gives us hope. The Holy Spirit comforts us even though he convicts us of sin and when we leave our comfort when we accept the invitation of Jesus and enter our calling we find something really interesting happens if you go back to that story in Mark chapter 1 we're going to continue that story. What we find is that when, when you take a stand, when you accept the invitation of Jesus and choose to follow him, that there is always opposition that is raised against you. Let's have a look. Mark chapter 1. So Jesus has called the disciples and it says there, then started in verse 21, Then they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath 
He entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Every time you accept the invitation of Jesus to follow him, demons always raise up opposition against you. You know, when Jesus started preaching, this man possessed by a demon started shouting to distract the people from hearing the good news. And he tried to stir up opposition against him. Every time you do that, every time you accept the invitation to follow Jesus, to forsake the familiar and to walk in faith, you enter into a spiritual warfare and the demons rise up in opposition to you. I've seen this happen time and again. Some people just hold on tight to Jesus and they just never let go and then others tragically give up. I've got a a very, very close family friend who started coming to church. The only one in my family. I'm the only uh, Seventh-day Adventist in my family. And this person started coming to church and they were baptized. They became a member of the church. And this person had a girlfriend and his girlfriend wasn't interested in the church, wasn't interested in in coming to church and she was very vocal about that and they were going to get married and I counseled him not to marry her. I said, this isn't a good idea, but he did and she kept hassling him before they were married and after they were married and she kept hassling him. Eventually, he stopped coming to church very sad story. I have another friend who, in fact, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian today because of my friend Nicholas. To get together at the same time, we discovered this beautiful message in the Bible of, of a God who loves us and cares about us. And together, as we discovered this, this beautiful God, this amazing message, opposition began to arise against us in our homes, our families. As, you, as I said, I come from a Greek family, and so uh, in the Greek culture, the, your family, your culture, and your faith are intertwined. So if you're Greek, you're Greek Orthodox. There are many cultures like that. And so when I became a Seventh-day Adventist, My family saw it as me rejecting the family, rejecting my culture, rejecting everything that I had been brought up in. And so opposition had arisen against me. And the same thing happened to my friend Nick. Sadly, my friend Nick stopped coming to church. 
and his life spiraled out of control. The same thing happened to my other family friend. He stopped coming to church. And the interesting thing was, all of these people that rose up in opposition to my family friend and to Nick coming to church, many years later, rang me and begged me to help them. I've seen this happen, not only with these two, but time and again with so many other people. My, my family friend, um, this girl rang me and she said, please help us, take him to your church, introduce him to some good married men. And I'm thinking, it's too late now. He doesn't want to come to church anymore. And my other friend, Nicholas, his mum rang me and she was begging me saying, come to our house, come and help Nick, he needs you. It's such a sad story when when you accept this calling. Opposition always arises and tragically sometimes people just give that, that invitation up and they stop following Jesus. Sometimes we think it's too hard because of the opposition it's too hard to continue to follow Jesus but as I said earlier the big idea it's worth it even though it's uncomfortable this is what Ellen White writes in the book Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing she puts it this way this is page uh, in this version here, it's 199. I found that in some other versions, it was page 128. But this is what she writes about this following the Jesus and the two paths that Jesus described. Yet do not therefore conclude that the upward path is the hard and the downward road the easy way. All along the road that leads to death, there are pains and penalties, there are sorrows and disappointments, there are warnings not to go on. Now listen, this is beautiful, I love this next sentence. God's love has made it hard for the heedless and headstrong to destroy themselves. Isn't that beautiful? God doesn't want people to be destroyed and he makes it hard for them to do it. God's love has made it hard for the heedless and headstrong to destroy themselves. It is true that Satan's path is made to appear attractive, but it is all a deception. In the way of evil, there are bitter remorse and cankering care. We may think it pleasant to follow pride and worldly ambition, but the end is is pain and sorrow. Selfish plans may present flattering promises and hold out the hope of enjoyment. But we shall find that our happiness is poisoned and our life embittered by hopes that center in self. In the downward road, the gateway may be bright with flowers, but thorns are in the path. The light of hope, which shines from its entrance, fades into the darkness of despair. And the soul who follows that path descends into the shadows of unending night. She goes on to then describe the narrow path. She says, We may have to endure toil in our journey. When weary, when longing for rest, 
we may have to toil on. When faint, we may have to fight. When discouraged, we may still hope. But with Christ as our guide, we shall never fail of reaching the desired haven at last. Christ himself has trodden the rough way before us and has smoothed the path for our feet. Beautiful, isn't it? You know, when you accept the invitation of Jesus, you enter into a spiritual battle that is just as real as any battle that is fought on this earth between two armies. But when you accept the invitation of Jesus, you become part of the family of God and the king of the universe becomes your father. And as your father, he takes on the responsibility of caring for you just as any earthly parent would care for their children. And as a child of God, you have all of heaven on your side. You have all the holy angels watching over you and helping you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you and caring for you, filling you with power and the fruit of the Spirit. You have Jesus leading you and directing your paths when you accept the invitation. You have the whole church of God rallying around you as the body of Christ to support you and to care for you. And God says that he will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think when we accept his invitation and we choose him. So the path... Or the invitation makes us uncomfortable. But it's so worth it. It's worth it. You know, this man here, this demon-possessed man, we don't really know much about him. We don't, have, we don't even have his name. All he's just described there is, a, is a, a man with an unclean spirit. We don't know much about him. But what we do know is that he was comfortable enough to come to the synagogue. In fact, he was probably a member there. He says there in verse 24, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He's identified himself with everyone there. So he had probably been attending for a long time and there was no problem. He'd been coming to the synagogue. He'd been coming to church with this unclean spirit and he was comfortable. But when Jesus turns up, guess what? The demon inside this guy is made uncomfortable. When Jesus turns up, the demons begin to tremble. When Jesus turns up, darkness flees. When Jesus turns up, power shows up. And when Jesus turns up, there is hope and there is light and there is salvation. And the question that we have to ask is, what demons do we bring to church? What are our demons? And I'm not talking about real fallen angel demons, but the 21st century demons that you and I carry around. You know them. We've all got them. What is it that you come to church with? What are the demons that you carry? Is it, is it unforgiveness? 
Maybe someone in the the church here in a position of authority or, or who knows? Maybe someone who should have known better has hurt you and you can't forgive them. Is that what you're carrying around? Or maybe someone in your family has hurt you, someone that you trusted let you down and you just can't forget. Is that, is that the demon that you're carrying around? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you have some sort of addiction to food or drugs or porn. Maybe it's gossip. We all love to hear something juicy, don't we? We carry around with us these 21st century demons and we come to church and we're comfortable coming to church. But Jesus wants to set us free. Jesus wants to confront us and free us from them, just like he freed this man. He wants us to trust him and accept the invitation he has. You know, the greatest enemy of faith, you know, of taking this leap of faith and accepting this invitation that Jesus has, the greatest enemy of faith is not fear, it's familiarity. You know, fear is an ally of faith because fear puts you in a place where you have nothing but Christ to rely on. Fear is okay. But familiarity keeps you where you are because it's predictable. And that's where the enemy wants to keep you. But Jesus has a greater plan for your life. And it's scary and it's uncomfortable, but it's better than the alternative. Back in Mark here, 1, chapter 16, there's two little words there that I love. It says there, and as he walked, speaking about Jesus, by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, he saw. He saw. You know, two simple words, yet full of meaning. What did Jesus see? I'll tell you what I see. I I, I see nothing outstanding. I just see four blokes, smelly, dirty, uneducated, and rough. What did Jesus see? He saw potential. He saw four men who would change the world by their example, their teaching, and their preaching. He saw strength, power, and love lived out. He saw what they could become. He saw in them infinite possibilities. He saw men changed by grace. He saw what we don't see. And the good news is that he still sees. He still sees. He sees you and he sees me. He sees our problems. He sees our disabilities. 
He sees all our insufficiencies. He sees our addictions. He sees everything. He knows all about you. He knows all about me. He sees it all. But he also sees what you and I can become when we accept his invitation and are transformed by grace. You know, Simon here is the guy that got his name changed to Peter. Jesus changed it from Simon to Peter. Jesus doesn't call us what others call us or even what we call ourselves. You know, we call ourselves failures and unworthy, ugly. Jesus calls you a masterpiece of grace, a canvas waited to be, waiting to be painted on. He sees you as an heir of salvation. He calls you his child. That's who you are. And when you accept his invitation, you become that in all its fullness. And your possibilities are endless. It's endless. You know, my parents met here in Australia. They met in Sydney. They got married and they had two beautiful boys. All because they became uncomfortable. They were willing to leave everything they knew and take a leap of faith into the unknown. Jesus also became uncomfortable because for Jesus to fulfill his calling as the Lamb of God, he had to leave the comfort of heaven and the praise and adoration of billions of beings and come to this earth and die for us. And he did that. He did that for you. And he did that for me. And Jesus invites us to leave our comfort, to enter our calling. The message and the invitation, it makes us uncomfortable. Let's be honest. But what we get in exchange is far greater than anything we could imagine. And so my question to you is, what's stopping you from accepting Jesus' invitation to follow him? What's stopping you? God bless you.